We hope you are enjoying our expanded podcast schedule. For the month of July, we have something new for our members. Each month, members who successfully answer our bonus content quiz will be entered for a chance to win a pair of AirPods Pro. To participate, you must have access to the bonus sections of the podcasts. Members also receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of July, you'll receive 50% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code fireworks at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code fireworks. Thank you for your support. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you today from Washington, D.C., uh, we're going to talk today about the recent uh, uh, developments and ongoing developments in Israel and their impact here in the United States. We've got two uh, guests and friends who are excellently well positioned to discuss that, one of them being Alan Pincus, who is uh, a former Israeli uh, diplomat, high government official columnist for Haaretz, who is in uh, Israel at the moment. How are you doing today, Alan? 90% humidity, 95 degrees, a coup d'etat, and I'm moving an apartment. Couldn't be, And the Yankees lost. Couldn't be better. It sounds just great. Well, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll have better luck with the mood of our other guest, Emily Tampkin, who is uh, an author, um, an independent journalist who has been writing for a long time about issues that pertain to um, American Jews, American Jews in politics, American Jews is like uh, George Soros and uh, uh, the, the role he plays uh, in politics. Are you doing better than Alan is today, Emily? I think so. I think uh, I think I've been shamed into not complaining. Uh, thanks for having me today. I'm not. I'm not complaining. By the way, I'm not complaining, guys. I just asked, so I answered. We're just stating facts. Yeah. I'm as jovial and happy as as anyone in a revolution could be. Uh, well, why don't you start us there? Um, Alain, everybody was covering uh, the 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 run up to the vote on the first of the measures that Netanyahu and his coalition have posed uh, to uh, reduce the power of the Supreme Court to give the Prime Minister and his cabinet a little bit more uh, latitude there, uh, and uh, uh, despite admonitions from the President of the United States and world leaders everywhere that. Making a big change to your democracy probably should not be done uh, on a strictly party line basis with uh, uh, the slimmest of majorities. Um, uh, Netanyahu and company went ahead. Um, uh, it seemed pretty cataclysmic. Seems like more bad news is on the horizon. Protests, which have been going on in Israel for essentially all of this year and before, uh, seem to continue. 
What's the state of play right now? Well, the state of play essentially is as follows. Um, the amendment to the law on the, the basic law judiciary or basic law adjudication, if you want to get uh, semantic about it, uh, was passed. That uh, amendment basically um, nullifies uh, a clause called reasonableness, meaning that the Supreme Court had in its powers the ability to strike down a government decision or a government appointment on grounds that it was unreasonable. It is not exactly, uh, it, does not exa it does not exactly fall under judicial review, but it is part of, in, in, in general, constitutional legal terms, it is part of judicial review. Um, that, I know, you're right, David, it's cataclysmic in terms of how people reacted to it, but to be honest, that was to be expected. I mean, there was talk and some people were, were flirting with the idea uh, that there will be a compromise. Personally, I was against any compromise because it's a rotten compromise. It is a, uh, a flawed compromise. It is not a real compromise. And, and the other side, led by Mr. Netanyahu, cannot be trusted to compromise on anything. But that's me. But people had flirted or entertained uh, uh, the concept. And then when it came... It struck them because people do realize that this is a first step en route to an empty democracy, a hollow democracy, a backsliding democracy, a severely weakened checks and balances uh, uh, situation. Now, where do we stand here? Where, where do we stand now? Uh, the Knesset, the Israeli parliament, is going into recess uh, for the summer, essentially until the, uh, the, the, the fall holidays, what, what you call in America the high holidays, um, New Year's, Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur. Um, until then, not much is going to happen. Even, even the, uh, uh, the protest, which will go on for a few more weeks, and it is now in the process of changing its emphasis and changing its objectives, and there is thinking that perhaps uh, the time is up and it is, it is now uh, um, a moment of or a point of inflection in which the, the, um, uh, the protests should, should go to bring down the government. How this, will go, how this will get, can this and will this and how will this be accomplished, I don't know. But this is, this is where we are today. Uh, with half of Israel, more than half of Israel, in fact, closer to 60%, um, you know, dismayed, uh, livid, uh, frustrated, and, and honestly very worried. And the other side is, on the one hand, gloating, but on the other hand, uh, um, is also fearful of what the, uh, uh, you know, what the political landscape is going to look like um, in a few months. Because if you look at the polls, and this is my last uh, uh, sentence here, if you look at the polls, Netanyahu is doing miserably. I mean, the economy is, is down, uh, the, the indicators are down, relations with the U.S. are at an all-time low, at least since the early 1970s. You wrote about that uh, uh, very astutely, David, if I may say so, uh, um, as, as, as uh, uh, did others uh, um, on the same topic. Um, and he's doing miserably in the polls. If elections were held, if ele an election were held today, from the 64 out of 120 seats that he has now, he is down to 52 in one poll, 53 
in another role. I mean, the coalition, not just him and his party. So right now, it's it's sort of David. Uh, um, a it's not a, it's not a hiatus yet. Um, I think there's a uh, you know a, a reorganization, a recalibration, uh, revisiting of of uh, uh, what should we do next on both sides. But there's no question about it. This is. This this is not Gettysburg, but this is as close as we have come to an open uh, civil uh, cold war, at least, um, at least since uh, the year of the Lord seventy. Uh, well, that you were in high school then, but uh, yeah. but I, I I don't remember it personally. Uh, Emily, <laughs> Emily, a central portion of uh, Israeli politics has always been the relationship with. American politics, American Jewish politics, uh, it's always been based on the idea of closely shared values. Uh, that is now in question. You've written about it. How do you think this affects that relationship? Not the government to government one, but the people to people one. Yeah, I mean, I think, okay, so if we look at the subset of American Jews who are still paying close attention to Israel and who, and who care deeply about it and who are, who are engaged on this issue, um, you have a subset of this subset that, a subset of that subset, excuse me, that is not upset by this, right? Because they're more conservative, they think it's fine, or alternatively, they continue to say, um, you know, it's Israel, we're going to defend it no matter what. But I think more American Jews who are engaged, who are engaged on these issues tend to be liberal. Um, and this has been a very, a very challenging, painful period for them, a very challenging, painful year for them, because long held beliefs are being challenged. Now, there are those on the left who say, okay, well, the issue is that you're questioning this now, right? And you weren't questioning it before with the occupation or, you know, vis-a-vis -vis Palestinians. Um, so why, why are the judicial reforms the things that have gotten you all upset? Um, even with decades of those values, those liberal democratic values degrading, um, for a long time, American Jews, liberal American Jews have told themselves, yes, but the Israel in my head and the Israel in my heart is still, it's still there. It's still a possibility. It's still worth, it's, it's still worth defending. Um, I think that's really been thrown into question for a lot of people this year. Two other things I would say are, um, one, there have been some, especially establishment American Jewish groups, and you saw this from the Biden administration as well, say, um, well, the fact that people are vigorously protesting, that shows that it's still a democracy and the democracy is still, is still alive. I do not mean this to sound disrespectful toward the people protesting, but the mere fact of a protest does not mean that you still have a democracy. You know, people, when Russia invaded Ukraine, there were very brave Russians who came out on the street to protest the war. That did not mean it was a democracy. When women in Iran come out on the street to protest, that does not mean it's a democracy. When Hungarians protested the closure of Central European University, that did not mean that they were in a full-fledged democracy. So we should be careful not to, not to sort of conflate these two things. Um, the other thing that I would say is that there was, uh, it was the American Jewish Committee, um, or the Conference of Presidents, there was an establishment legacy Jewish group that put out a statement saying that they were afraid that this judicial, this decision to go ahead with this portion of the judicial reform, that that would really hurt um, relations with the diaspora. I think it is worth asking whether this particular government cares. When you have a diaspora minister 
who comes to the United States and gives the middle finger to pro-democracy, pro-Israel protesters in New York City, which he did, and who says, you know, who speaks about reform Judaism, which is the largest denomination here in the United States, as he does, who has said that he thinks that um, pro-democracy protesters are more damaging than BDS when, you know, when you have uh, a, a diaspora minister who has, who you know, and a government that has repeatedly told American Jews and Jews around the world to butt out. Um, I think it's worth, it's it worth, it, it would perhaps be worthwhile for these groups to ask themselves, are they defending people who care about their opinion? I would suggest the answer is no. So, Alon, you know, clearly something traumatic has happened here within Israel. Something traumatic has happened in the relationship. Um, and the big question is going forward, can Israel recover? Can the relationship recover? How quickly and what does that leave you? You know, it's like somebody has a heart attack. They may get back up on their feet, but there may be significant scar tissue in their heart. They may never be the same again. Right. Uh, and and listening to what Emily is saying, what is your prognosis? Okay. Um, I, you know, I'll start with uh, by saying, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart, that I subscribe to every single word that Emily said. So. So you're not going to find any daylight uh, here, at least not on this. Um, now, moving moving to your question. Well, look, there are two things here. Um, there is the re- There are structural cracks in the relationship that have little to do with what's been going on in Israel in the last seven months. And then there is the last seven months, uh, which obviously widened the cracks or even, you know, put TNT or C4 explosive in them. And what do I mean by that? Um, two levels of analysis here. You know, the Israeli-American relationship on a, on a uh, diplomatic slash strategic uh, level and the, um, the uh, um, Israel-American Jewish or Israel-American Jewry U.S. triangle. These, these are not necessarily identical uh, um, equations here. Now, what do I mean by that? The U.S.'s relationship with Israel has seen uh, systemic changes that Israel unfortunately ignored for a long time. Um, the U.S. has disengaged from the Middle East, even though it's not an overnight thing, and you still see American presence, but the U.S. in terms of grand strategy disengaged from the Middle East. The U.S. is not dependent on Arab oil. There is no Soviet Union to contain which was the cornerstone of American policy here in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and into and until the disintegration of the Soviet Union. And, and the U.S. Um, has, has been scarred and hemorrhaged too much um, in, in, in Middle East wars. And by Middle East here, I mean the grand Middle East from Afghanistan uh, um, in, the, uh, um, in the East through Iraq, Syria, Yemen, what have you. And so there is a, an, an, an American uh, disassociation, dis, disengaging from the Middle East. That, of course, is all under um, um, a reprioritization process that sees America move into the Indo-Pacific and, and sees China as the main challenge. And Israel, in this context, is of much lesser importance. That we have been telling ourselves and that American Jews have made it into bumper stickers 
that we are one, that Israel is a strategic asset, that the U.S. can't live without Israel, that Israel contributes to American security, that's great. That's good for fundraisers. That's good for bumper stickers. That's good for, uh, um, um, you know, battle cries. That needs serious revisiting because the U.S. is, uh, I mean, I think you've written about that, David. Uh, Biden is probably the last Democrat of the old school that has a visceral, emotional commitment and, and appreciation. I don't want to say the word love, uh, but let's say it anyway, love for Israel. Um, and American demographics and, and electoral coalitions are not necessarily moving uh, in Israel's favor. And Israel has been not, not just uh, uh, slow to react, but oblivious and indifferent to this because of Mr. Netanyahu. Enter the, la enter the second level, the, the last seven months. In the last seven months, Israel distanced itself from uh, the shared value, the core, the foundation of the relationship, which was, which was always shared values and never strategic cooperation. The term strategic asset, and I've researched this uh, extensively. I'm, I'm not the best researcher on this, and I'm not the only, uh, but I've researched this. The term strategic asset was used by Israel, not by the U.S., The U.S. was willing to go by, which is why you raised an issue, is this special, you, David, in your last column raised the issue of, is this special relationship uh, uh, still going on under these political circumstances with Mr. Netanyahu? And this is the last seven months. He's been, he's been um, moving Israel away from that concept of shared values. Um, he would claim, by the way, if you were in this discussion, he would say, no, 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 no. I don't share values with Joe Biden. I do share values with um, Donald Trump, which, by the way, Americans should understand. Look at Netanyahu now and start imagining a second Trump term. This is what you're going to get. This is a 6th of January every day for seven months running. Um, and, and you see that America is uncomfortable with this. Now you add, this is my last uh, take on this, Now you add American Jews, what Emily talked about. You know, um, I, I, I feel for them. I understand the frustration. They have suppressed their opinion for many years. Women in the, in the praying in the Kotel, Reformed Jews, conversion, who's a Jew, who's a rabbi, the chief rabbinate, uh, um, and Israel not giving a damn about them. They all took it in, they all shut up, they all suppressed this, they all lived in denial because we are one and Israel, uh, good or bad, Israel right or wrong. Emily alluded to that. Uh, they're done with that. Now, I feel for them because it takes time to change a paradigm. I'm asking, I'm asking your aunt in Boca, David, or Emily, I'm asking her to change a paradigm to change her mindset, to think of Israel differently from the brochure she's holding uh, uh, for, for five decades. It's, it's very, very difficult. And, and what I see that's most worrying is not an anti-Israel or a uh, critic, critical of Israel um, approach, but a disassociation. I see this aloofness. I can see this, uh, um, you know, it's, it's paralysis. If you take... Uh, The, the judicial overall, the judicial revolution, this, this regime changing uh, Netanyahu policy began on the 4th of January. 
let's say we're on the 4th of August now, the next week. Um, this is exactly uh, seven, seven months. In the last seven months, American Jews, by and large, have kept quiet. Maybe it's paralysis. Maybe it's disappointment. Maybe it's, uh, um, you know, resentment. I don't know. Emily is probably better. Both of you, in fact, are probably better positioned than I am to say. But, but the fact is, we don't see, Al I mean, yeah, you have groups, you have the reform movement and Rick Jacobs spoke and you have J Street and you have uh, uh, the AJC coming out with that statement that Emily spoke about. And you have Jerry Nadler uh, uh, putting out a statement. Uh, okay, that's fine. But en masse, you do not see American jury take a stand on this. Emily, um, you, you touched upon this earlier. There are a number of things that have changed here. One thing that has changed is um, the the specifics of the political stance of the Netanyahu administration on this recent set of issues. But there are a lot of bigger changes afoot. There's generational change that has taken place. Um, the the aunt in Boca that uh, that Alan refers to. Uh, you know, there's a generation that Israel was a special ally. It was a Cold War memory. It had to do with the Six-Day War, turning the desert green, the, 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 the David against the Goliath that was surrounding it, right? Uh, I, I was pointed out that when, by, when Obama became president, he became president in the 80s. The Israel he remembered was the Ariel Sharon Israel that went into the camps in Lebanon and was a regional bully. He never looked at it in the way that that prior generation did. Um, there, of course, is a, a, a Gen X, Zen, Gen Z generation that doesn't remember the Cold War, that doesn't remember the benefits of the Cold War, um, uh, that doesn't prioritize these issues, that sees U.S. involvement in the Middle East as generally much more of a problem than a solution to anything. And um, who just... It doesn't connect. Um, and they're obviously the growing group. They are much more influential. They vote more in election after election. Um, uh, and, and, and the, you know, the, 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 I've sensed, sorry for the long question, but I've sensed this kind of desperation on the part of the traditional advocates for Israel um, as they've watched all this drift away to try what tactics that I consider to be out-of-court tactics, like if you criticize the Israeli government, that's tantamount to being anti-Semitic, um, which is just ludicrous in my view, right? Um, uh, or to turn on anybody who criticizes in a really harsh way. When, when does this translate into a significantly different policy, do you think? When, how do, when, when does this get traction? It's already changed for the Democratic voter, right? It already is changing for the Democratic voter. As you say, The if you're a millennial and you're a Gen Z, if you're a millennial or Gen Z and you're an American Jew, you have grown up basically only seeing the situation between Israelis and Palestinians get worse. Um, you have more access to different kinds of information than your parents did. 
as you say, you're farther away from historical moments that perhaps that you you know you have a different emotional connection to the country. Um, and I, you know, I again, I don't mean to sound disrespectful. I do not think people have done themselves a great. I do not think Israel's boosters have done themselves a great service by saying, "Oh, it's just that they feel pressured on campus," or "Oh, it's just that it's not cool to be pro-Israel," or "Oh, it's just the media." And if you only spent more time in Israel, or if you only, you know, if you only connected more, or "Oh, it's your intermarriage," or "Oh, it's this," "Oh, it's that." Or, you know, we, we shouldn't even talk about this because if you do, you're an anti-Semite. I do not think that that has helped the cause because you're you're shutting down a conversation rather than engaging with it. That, I mean, when when has that ever convinced anybody of anything? So for American Jewish voters, and I should say that not just for American Jewish voters, but for millennial Gen Z voters, you know, progressive, democratic, liberal voters more generally, um, Palestinian Americans are also becoming more involved in American politics and have a very different perspective and are able to share that. Um, and I think we're seeing that reflected in politics as well. When does that change into policy? I think that's that will take longer. Um, you know, I think even with Biden's obvious displeasure with this move, um, you know, Herzog was still was still at the White House. He and Netanyahu will still in all likelihood meet in the United States at some point between now and the end of the year. Um but but I don't think this is sustainable for democratic politicians. So if it's five years, if it's ten years, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, and I, I think, do I ever think that it? Well, I mean, never say never. I have trouble seeing right now how it goes back to being a bipartisan, you know, no questions asked policy to 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 support Israel in such a way as to mean not question it, as it as it was in decades, in decades past. Yeah, and no, I. I- Totally agree with you, and 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 you know that may have to do with my own political biases, but I but I also you know I have two daughters who are in their early thirties who whose grandfather was Holocaust survivor, who ought to be natural supporters, both of whom you know married Jewish guys and live in Brooklyn. You know you see a certain pro, <laughs> prototype there who I think from their earliest days have been super sympathetic to the Palestinian cause, super sympathetic to, um, you know, one set of values applying to everybody um, and super skeptical of what they saw as the government of Israel for, for the past couple of decades. Uh, and I get the sense that the momentum uh, is with that group. I want to come back and talk about that, um, but this is where we take a break and we say to folks who are not members of the DSR network that you should be a member. You go to the DSR network, you click on membership, you put $5 a month down, you help support what we're doing, all this programming that we're doing, and you get to listen to all the bonus content, which is about a third of every episode, uh, which is a lot. A lot of good stuff happens in there, as will happen here in moments. Uh, so go become a member and you can listen to it. If you are a member, stand by. We'll be right back. 